0: Hi, this is Andrew Keen. Welcome to a special edition of Keen On, featuring an interview I did for my Regenerate show. Regenerate, fostering the transition to a regenerative economy. For more, go to regenerateforum.org. Enjoy. Welcome to Regenerate, the show about the regenerative economy. We don't have that many rules on this show, but if, if there is one, uh, we believe that in 2020 in particular, the economy needs to be reimagined, reinvented, reborn, in a word, regenerated. And that regeneration begins with the soil. Um, and that has been the the source, if you like, of the conversation in our series with agriculturalists, with economists, with business theorists, with philosophers. Um, And today we have, I think, a philosopher, a business theorist, uh, an agriculturalist, um, uh, a new thinker, All-in-One. Otto Sharma is uh, a professor at Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Boston. He's talking to me from his home in Arlington, uh, in Massachusetts. He's German-born. He's very much in the tradition of the the European intellectual coming to America and and getting Americans to rethink the nature of the world. Um, I was particularly struck by a a piece that Otto published on Medium a couple of months ago, focusing on what he calls our blind spots. Uh, Otto has argued that we have in 2020, three collective ba- blind spots, the soil, democracy, and consciousness. Now, perhaps at Regenerate, we would put the soil in the middle of that graphic. Uh, but I'm not going to argue with, with uh, Otto on the organization of his three collective blind spots. Uh, Otto, welcome to Regenerate.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me on.
0: So to begin, Otto, what exactly is a blind spot? You have this wonderful visual uh, in your medium piece of what blind spots are. So this is not just a throwaway term. You've obviously given the notion of a blind spot some some deep thinking.
1: Well, a a blind spot basically is uh, what we take for granted if it is not, right? So... So a blind spot is, uh, can be like our habitual way of seeing things, uh, as one way where, when in reality, they also could be another way. And, um, I think particularly in 2020, um, we, I mean, it has been said many times we live in a moment of disruption. It's particularly, uh, a collective and global experience. Uh, it has been this year. And, uh, what we can notice is then that whenever disruption happens, right? So what does disruption really mean? Generally, it means the future is going to be different from the past. So something is changing. So whenever disruption happens, there are two different ways how I can, uh, respond. One is turning away and the other one is turning toward. And turning away is basically a freeze reaction of the human mind, right? Closing the mind, closing the heart, closing the will, aka ignorance, hate, and fear. So from the phrase, make America great again, the most important word is the last word, right? Again, because it means we are orienting ourselves back in time, kind of back to uh, a time that has already passed. Um, so that's one way of responding and it's like, not necessarily like, uh, evil intention or something, but it is uh, an intention that, um, it is a reaction that is based on a freeze reaction, maybe a self-protection of the mind because what's coming our way is too much. The other way of responding to disruption is turning toward. Turning toward, we are we in, uh, leaning into an emerging future that we don't even know what it really is. And the only way of doing it is by opening the mind, aka curiosity, opening the heart, aka empathy, compassion, and opening the will, which is the capacity of courage. So in that way, you can say, in a moment when we have this conversation where we all have the hope that we are at the tail end, not only of the period of Trump, but also the period of Trumpism that, um, the the deepest capacity that we have to develop to really move not only beyond Trump, but also beyond Trumpism is the capacity to cultivate our resources of curiosity, compassion, and courage, because it, um, It is the foundation of responding to disruption in a way that is not going back to a time, you know, that's not based on turning away and freezing, but it's based on leaning into an emerging future possibility that we need to embrace and that requires us to let go and let come. And let go of what? Let go of everything that isn't essential and also let go of the past. And letting come uh, really means kind of connecting with emerging future possibilities that we really feel some resonance with.
0: Yeah, you so- have this, uh, and I'm, I'm putting this up on the screen now, three words that are really important for you in terms of coming to terms with uh, the future and the past are reckoning, reconciliation, and reparations. The three R's, Otto. Are those central in, in, in making sense of, of of the solutions to the, the problems that now engulf us?
1: Absolutely, and I think they relate kind of uh, on the other side of the slides that you just showed. Uh, you have the term of the, when you look at the left-hand side, the three blind spots, right? Blind spot one is denial not seeing. Blind spot two is not feeling, it's desensing, right? So I see something, but I don't feel it. Uh, and blind spot three is apathy, right? It's not acting. And when I look at my own experience, for example, and the Black Lives Matter moment uh, here in the United States, the, you know the, the first blind spot, the not seeing, really is about the continuity, the unbroken continuity from slave patrols over lynching to police brutality today. Uh, an example of the second blind spot not feeling is structural violence. Of course, I was aware of um, you know, the disproportionate suffering for that, for example, the COVID situation created uh, among the communities of color and so on. So I'm aware of that in my mind, but did I really feel it? And I think uh, more often than not, I think the, the true answer is I, I, I didn't really feel it. And it only really fully opened up when seeing the unspeakable eight minutes and uh, 46 seconds, the killing of George, Flo- uh, George Floyd.
0: So, uh, Otto, let's go back to your, your three collective blind spots. Uh, you've talked a little bit about democracy, although I do want to come back to that. You've touched on consciousness, but we haven't talked yet about our central subject to regenerate the soil. How does the soil fit into this trinity of crises confronting us in the, in, in 2020?
1: Well, the, the soil is, so the current crisis is really uh, a crisis with three faces. It's kind of the environmental, and I would say the ecological crisis is really a crisis with three faces. The environmental crisis, the social economic crisis, and then a spiritual crisis—kind of that connects how we relate to our own deeper sources of knowing. And when you look at um, at soil, soil is really not only at the at the root of um, uh, the, you know at the root of responding to the climate change situation. So we all know we need to fix we need to keep uh, fossil fuels uh, uh, you know uh, in the ground right so so that's kind of one condition of responding to uh, the the climate change that we have but the other condition is and most people i mean we are making slow progress there some progress in fact but uh, not fast enough but the other issue that is really talked about is we need to uh, shift our uh, agricultural model kind of from conventional to regenerative because in terms of carbon sequestration uh, and also in terms of emission today from the conventional architectural uh, model, uh, the conventional uh, agricultural model, uh, that's um, probably the second biggest leverage point that we have. And it's not talked about at all in a way that would be sufficient, which mainly, but and that's why I think um, uh, democracy is so important. If you talk to people today, and uh, even in countries here like uh, the U.S., but certainly also in Europe and in other places, you give and you ask them, "What would be your choice? Kind of, do you want an agricultural model, kind of that is uh, poisoning the earth, the groundwater, and your own body?" Um, or do you want uh, an agricultural model that is, keeps regenerating the earth, regenerating you and your family, and it's also kind of good for the, um, uh, for the well-being of the ecosystem? So it's more kind of uh, in line with the biodiversity challenge that we have. Uh, on average, about 70 plus percent right, vote for the first model. So to the degree that you ask people, um you know they vote for that, yet what we do with our public policies is that almost by a trillion dollars a year we are subsidizing the old model
0: yeah and you uh, uh i 've really been struck with your focus in this in your on your written work um uh, otto your Your arguments are compelling and troubling. you suggest that and it 's not just your work you you cite a lot of research. Between 43 and 57% of human-caused greenhouse gas emission comes from food and agricultural production. Uh, The UN Food and Agricultural Organization have have, have warned we may only have 60 annual harvests left. And as you just said, we spend nearly a trillion dollars a year subsidizing self-harming industrial agriculture, as with this picture of uh, of, of, uh, an an industrial tractor. Uh, Is
1: this a civilizational crisis, Otter? I think it is. So let me just say kind of the first number, that was one study. There are other studies, for example, current UN numbers, they come out more at 30%. um, But basically, you know, it is, it ends up with the same conclusion, particularly if you consider the uh, carbon sequestration uh, capacities the moment you switch to regenerative uh, agriculture. Yes, we are in a civilizational crisis, and um, uh, the I believe it comes with three main questions that we have to uh, re, uh, that we have to answer, and three main sectors of society that we have to reimagine and reshape. The first one is the economy, and that starts with agriculture. The second one is democracy, and that starts with making more relevant what the majority of people really want. Um, that 's you know uh, applicable to many countries today where the consciousness of the uh, population of people actually is much more around environmental issues is much more evolved than the decision making of political systems that are often organized by um, special interest groups kind of uh, and vested interests kind of that you know are about fossil fuel or big agriculture or, or others, and the third one I think has to do with reimagine and reshape our learning infrastructures. And what really is um, so we have like interesting things going on in all of these places. But um, what I where I see when you say civilizational crisis, right? So we are in a development where the uh, you know we see not only, um, I mean, we see many farms dying and people going to the cities where the opportunity is. And I think what what the real challenge is, is not only switching to regenerative agriculture, but also uh, using the current COVID uh, challenge as an opportunity to rebalancing the relationship between Urban uh, uh, areas and uh, rural areas and agriculture by bringing, uh, for example, key learning and key cultural opportunities kind of uh, back into the villages, kind of back into rural places. And uh, for example, by reinventing how we organize a university uh, and higher ed in ways that makes uh, kind of uh, Role models of regenerative agriculture more a natural center kind of for uh, developing this new culture and these new places for learning and in fact, you can see many examples uh, many examples of that so when you look at the new economy movement here in the United States, a lot of them start with agriculture right and then you process the food so then come you know restaurants and and well being kind of um, activities around that. So when I look at, uh, when you look from a civilizational perspective, and you say, okay, uh, in our area, there's one old civilization dying, and something else is uh, being born. Mm. Where are the seeds of the new civilization? And you
0: use the word seeds, Otto, uh, and I'm sure as as a metaphor, uh, because of course, ultimately, all this comes back down to the soil. One of the things we're trying to do at Regenerate is establish some regenerate retreats to take people back to the soil, back to the land. Actually, we'd love you to be involved when, when, when the economy gets back to normal. Is this an important thing to do, to take city, ba- city people back to their roots? Is it a way of going back to the, the origins of humanity?
1: Well, uh, for some people it's back. For some people, it's the first time to really relating with Earth, right? Relating with uh, Mother Earth in their own life, right? When I say back,
0: I I mean in a in a a historical, as a species sense,
1: yeah. No, I I I believe that uh, that uh, we uh, the the connection, the personalized connection that each and every one of us. Uh, through our daily consumption, f- through our food, with earth and with the ways kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the mode in which kind of the, the food is being produced and generated um, uh, and processed is something where that is largely unaware for most people today. And the more awareness we bring into this relationship, which eventually is a relationship that I have to the land that I have to the planet and that I have also to agriculture, where this planet is cultivated uh, according to one set of principles or another, I think that's really at the core of the um, current shift. And when I look around kind of where really the hotspots of kind of new, uh, of a new economy and kind of a new thinking and of a new culture, often. What you see is that it is around. So, when people, for example, move out of urban areas, as many people do, particularly now, where do they go? They go close to regenerative farms, right? They go close to areas where you have a regenerative farm. Maybe you have a good school nearby. And that's really kind of, uh, we all have the same criteria. And that's why you see many clusters. So, you see kind of the seeds of the new civilization um being developed often in ecosystems that are surrounding regenerative farms and i think that's something really interesting it begs the question how can we link what's happened the regenerative agricultural part of the farm also with kind of deeper learning places as you just mentioned kind of creating retreats kind of creating um uh, creating the ecosystem on a farm, which is also, it's not only about food, but it's uh, about a living ecosystem where we can experience a certain presence of nature that allows us to connect to our own deeper sources of being, of who we really are, and you know the, the story of the future that we want to be part of. So it's kind of this new community building that we often see happening in and also around regenerative farms. And that's why I think the new wave of regenerative farms that we see coming into being right now, there are important core seeds or crystals kind of of a new um, civilizational movement that is about what you said in the opening, right? It's about regenerating, but I would add, regenerating not only our economy, but also regenerating kind of our democracy, which essentially kind of is based on dialogue, it's based uh, on kind of how we make sense together, right, as a community, and how we reach kind of at uh, consensus around some shared uh, deeper issue, and um, how we reimagine and how we reshape our deeper um, learning infrastructures. And again, with The digital technology, we have now the possibility to use regenerative farms through kind of more distributed uh, modes of and multi local modes of learning and organizing. We could turn farms into a new type of university that is focused on bringing this new civilization kind of more in harmony really focusing on not only bridging but uh, you know uh, transforming the three big divides of our time the ecological the social and the spiritual divide to really um develop new approaches and a new economic thinking and new kind of um, advancing our democracies and new um, learning infrastructures that will make a difference on these issues and when you I don't know, Andrew, about your experience, but when I go around, I talk to people in different places. Almost everyone you talk to these days agrees on the following three things. One, our old civilization is moving in the wrong wrong direction and we are about to hit the wall. In fact, 2020 is the year where this hitting the wall becomes more visible than ever before. Two, personally, I want to be part of a different story, right? even though I participate in the old story. And number three, I don't know how. That's the basic condition most people, many people live in today. And I think that's where we need to work together in new ways and we need to link the reinvention of farming on this planet with also the reinvention of our economy and the reinvention of learning.
0: Yeah, I think your your idea of, of turning regenerative farms into universities or colleges or places for rethinking our relationship with the world and each other is really profound. I I love the idea. We've had, as you know, Joel Salatin on the show, Isabella Tree, many other leading regenerative farmers, and I think they would be ideal leaders. I'm also struck, Otto, by your focus in your work on uh, citizen assemblies. I made a film last year about fixing democracy and we had a section on citizen assemblies. Um, I could imagine these citizen assemblies perhaps um, sometimes sitting quite literally on farms in the soil. What what in your mind is so important about citizen assemblies in terms of fixing this third blind spot uh, of, of democracy?
1: We know when you look at the uh, uh, climate situation, when you look at the biodiversity situation, um, you know, and when you look at the even like conventional things like the SDGs, everyone knows, uh, you know, the changes that are necessary now will be profound. We need profound transformation. I'm showing this. uh there,
0: there's no, there's no Planet B, right, Otto? Exactly. As these young women are,
1: are are reminding us. No Planet B, and um, no one wants like uh, uh, any kind of green or otherwise dictatorship. So the only way of uh, uh, doing that in a de- democratic form is to advance democracy, kind of make kind of the democratic conversation and democratic decision making more relevant. How we run our democracies. Democracy in the West is in a profound crisis, right? It is on the ballot uh, this year here in the United States, but it's also um, uh, at risk in many other places. And when you look at where are really interesting developments that make democracy more direct, more dialogic, and also more distributed, kind of bringing in the voices kind of, of the people who are actually affected by a certain decision-making, um, what you see is that um, citizen council is one a, one of the really interesting developments that happens in a variety of countries, particularly uh, in in Europe, um, but also um, in, in Asia, for example, in Taiwan. And what we have seen there is if you and it's really a mechanism of bringing common sense back into the um, uh, into the political process. And it's a mechanism of, um, freeing the political decision-making process from the, uh, influence of special interest groups, right? That basically buy, kind of through their campaign contributions, the decision-making, the people who, who pay for these sorts of things. Exactly. So that's why $1 trillion of subsidies goes in the wrong direction today. And so we have seen, um, Particularly interesting examples, when you have citizen councils, it doesn't just mean like kind of bringing in, uh, so they are randomly selected. There is a capacity building kind of that, and there is kind of all sorts of expert knowledge available to them, but their job really is to contemplate these issues um, uh, with a mindset of, uh, uh, you know, really taking into account the well-being of the whole. On average, these councils come up with much more radical proposals than the established parliaments. And then, of course, you can't just, you know, implement it from there. But if that, if those proposals are put to a referendum, I think you have a very powerful way. And of course, you know, bring also uh, in the voice of the parliament. You have a very powerful way. Of uh, advancing the democratic process by making it not less democratic but more democratic, and a great example, a, a mini example of um, you know a version how elements of direct democracy can act- actually accelerate the ecological transformation, is in uh, southern Germany in Bavaria, kind of where uh, you know an initiative started a referendum type of process. Uh, that um, within a year kind of forced a profound shift from conventional supporting conven- conventional agriculture based on monoculture and so forth to a much more, uh, to a framework really that is based on uh, biodiversity and regenerative agriculture principles for a significant portion of the agricultural land. So that's the heartland of the German industry. It's the most conservative state in uh, Germany. And um, that's what they did. So I think to the degree that we make uh, people's voice more relevant in the political process, we'll be able to advance and accelerate the transformation that we all need to see in this decade.
0: Otto, as I said earlier and as you've stressed, your work focuses on moving forward rather than backwards, but you do see the importance of history And I wonder whether it's any coincidence that these citizen assemblies are very much um, built around uh, the the, the democracies of antiquity uh, and their lottery system for citizen engagement. That doesn't mean we support those systems entirely, given that they excluded slaves and women. But um, do you think to move forward, we have to look to look backwards? So just as in politics to move forward. We have to look back to antiquity. And when it comes to agriculture and food and our own health, we do need to move forward. But we also need to go backwards and remind ourselves of the importance of the earth.
1: Absolutely. I think uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, and when I talked to uh, you're right about the roots of um, uh, democracy, kind of, uh, which is really rooted in, in dialogue and in conversation. Uh, it's also true for the root of our learning system, because that's kind of uh, the Academy of Athens, is the true source kind of, of Western education. How did that start in the growth uh, and in dialogue, there was no separation between students and teachers. There was only joint inquiry, kind of inter topics. So the uh, Academy of Athens, and yes, these places excluded too many people. So that's what we need to change. And for example, when you talk with and work with uh, indigenous groups today. What um, what they will tell you is kind of the, the regenerative model, that's what we have been doing all the time. So there's kind of, it, again, another source of relating to Mother Nature, relating to soil, relating to the land, to earth, in a way that, you know, has been practiced once in the past. But is uh, in most places today destroyed by an overlay kind of, of let's say kind of Western civilization, the conventional economic model. So moving forward means taking an inspiration kind of uh, from those origins and uh, bringing it uh, into reality today in a much more conscious way because it needs to be more conscious because, we are at the risk of destroying already what we have. So we need to, um, you know, uh, bring these principles um, into reality on a much larger level of scale also than, you know, what what used to be there in the past. And uh, going back to... Um, Uh, These sources that you cited, including kind of the indigenous sources here in the United States that has been a very important source for our constitution. And, you know, if we want to rethink the economy, I think there's a lot we can learn from these places and these cultures. Uh, A previous guest on the show, uh, Rianne
0: Eisler, I I, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she she is a, a humanist like you, and also an anthropologist, and a lot of her work focuses on indigenous tribes um, and 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 their ways of building community. I wonder if the seeds of this social regeneration lies in the climate movement today. Uh, these young people are now going out on the streets. Uh, and working outside traditional institutions. Do you think that the environmental movement, particularly the one driven by young people, is this the core seed now of of fixing our our,
1: our three blind spots, Otto? It is uh, one core seed, I would say. It is not the only one. And I don't think it is responsible if people from our generation just dump everything on the next one, right? Oh, that's what we failed. And now it's over to you. That's not going to work. It's also interesting, I think, in that movement, that uh, it's a little bit different than like 50 years ago. So it's not against the elder generation, but it's like holding up the mirror and say, "Hey, so um, why are you? Uh, so why are you not living up to your own responsibility?" So, I think kind of this is much more a cross generational alliance, what's uh, necessary right now. It has been a huge and wonderful spark, uh, kind of the, the Fridays for Future, the climate movement. I think it has taken a little bit like a backseat um, over the uh, past few months. But if COVID has taught us anything, it is this the moment we as a global species put our mind on a problem together we can bend the curve we are the only species on earth who can do that so we can collectively focus on our uh, the outcomes that we collectively create and we can by putting our attention on the collective um Uh, behavior that we enact moment to moment, we can bend the curve, we can change the rules according to which behavior uh, 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 operates.
0: It's the MLK uh, quote that you put in your your wonderful graphic on the blind spot, the arc of moral justice is long, long, but it bends towards
1: justice. And you, I'm assuming Otto, really believe that. I believe that, and I think we have seen that, so that in those countries and those communities where we are able to do this together, we are able to bend the curve. Now, our challenge is, A, it hasn't happened in all places, and B, we need to really focus on the the biggest challenges that are coming our way in this decade, and that is kind of the climate uh, challenge that is uh, to do with biodiversity and it has to do with uh, climate justice because you cannot address any of these um, challenges if we do not um, address them from a lens of social justice and you know uh, in the view of the uh, shocking levels of inequality that have been um, amplified over the past four decades and none of the above can be made if we are not shifting our consciousness from what i call an ego system awareness to an ecosystem awareness. You could say from a silo view to a systems view that really takes into account all the different perspectives on a system, particularly the ones that today are the most marginalized. So that shift from ego to eco, I think, is really at the core of moving towards climate justice. And uh, the farms of the future, I think, kind of are really the Places where we cultivate the seeds of this shift, of this civilizational shift, not only by talking about it, but by creating communities that operate according to these new principles.
0: The the farms of the future, I think you're suggesting, are universities and churches and, and factories all in one. Uh, Finally, Otto, you've done a wonderful job joining all these dots, um, making it clear that the relationship between factory farming and the environmental crisis and our political crisis and our personal crisis, they're all bound up. I'm going to let you dream at the end because you are ultimately, I I suspect, a dreamer. Let's say we fix our three collective blind spots in the next 10 or 20 years. Uh, you've written in your in your work about the year 2040 as a, as a moment when things can get better. What will the world look like if these three collective blind spots of soil, democracy, and consciousness are all... They're never going to be fixed because there's always going to be new problems. We're never going to get to the end of history. You've made that mistake before. But what will the world look like in 2040 if at least these blind spots have been improved if we're addressing them
1: collectively? Well, um, I think that the first thing we need uh, to remember is uh, when you look at the last century, right? Um, So the darkest hour, which was 1941, Hitler at the height of his power gave birth to what ever since has been the global multilateral environment. It was conceived in the darkest hour, If you go back into the history of the United States, kind of the major shifts, kind of the basically transforming the institution of slavery, right, to the degree that we could, happened kind of during the Civil War. So it is, we are in another dark hour, in in another moment like that, Uh, but that means all the possibilities are also here. So where the danger is that saving power also grows. I mean, we should never forget that. So I really appreciate your question. My experience of the current moment is this. I have seen massive change in my life several times. One of them was 1981, uh, 1989. I was a member of the peace movement of the green movement uh, earlier so part of the movement both uh, in uh, you know western europe and germany and also uh, in eastern europe and germany that brought down the wall in 1989 and yet what happened back then was the collapse of a separation between two social systems socialism capitalism right what we see today is the collapse of a different kind of wall. It's not a wall between System A and System B, but it's a collapse of a wall between self and system, between how I connect with others and how I connect with the whole system, both on the level of the mind, but also how I feel or not feel kind of the pain of others kind of in my own ecosystem, in my own community. So my dream—I think that's uh, the collapse of the wall today. And that's our current moment. We have the possibility in this dark hour we are in to really reimagine and reshape where we are going on a collective level in terms of the ecological divide, the social divide, but also the deeper spiritual divide, which is the disconnect between who I am today, who I could be tomorrow so twenty forty twenty fifty I think could be a time where this potential where we could see a thriving ecosystem of not i agree with you, not all problems will be solved but um what i i think it's quite possible, just as people in nineteen forty one imagined the post war system. We can use this moment to imagine another uh, civilization that is based on bridging the ecological divide, the social-economic divide, and also kind of the spiritual divide. And we see vibrant and global ecosystem of vibrant communities uh, that operate according to these principles. And we will see countries and regions that more and more will align with that. An example of of that, frankly, is um, the Scandinavian countries, the Nordic model, which when you historically double click on that, and why is it that in all the well-being matrix, um, the the five Scandinavian countries are always ranking at the top. So why is that? And the answer is, uh, it is because of an educational intervention. Right, with the Danish folk high school that created the soil, if you want. It was for farmers back then, right? High quality education for farmers um, and for everyone. So not only for the elites in the countries that created the condition for growth in terms of the economy, but also human growth. And you know both and growth in terms of the uh, the, the community and the, the political process, which until today is the foundation for the Nordic model. So I think um, that's called for today in a new way by also using technologies. But I very much agree with you. Your in your other writings, kind of your criticism of technology, it's often. I mean it is uh, as we know from the uh, social dilemma movie and so on uh, it is often kind of one of the forces that is reinforcing kind of the spiritual divide kind of the um, the problems that we have to truly connect to our deeper sources of creativity not only individually but also on a collective level so i think you see the seeds for all of these things today But we need to focus them and the farms of the future, kind of the the regenerative farming movement, could be one of these hotspots, some of these hubs, where these new ecosystems that will be place-based can organize around and can be connected with each other.
0: You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at Lithub Radio. See you next week, and thanks
1: so much for listening.